pledge. Well, you heard, uh, as Dwayne said, you heard Jesus' what's been called the triumphal entry uh, when he comes into Jerusalem, uh, marking what we think is close to about the last week of his life. And uh, that's in Mark 11, and, and I'm, I may reference that or read it again. Uh, as we walk towards Easter together as a church, we'll have uh, really just one focal passage we're going to be looking at. And so often I'll give you a, a parallel passage uh, that is read earlier, but we'll have one passage in Mark that we look at. And so Terry said, why do you want to read them twice? You know, that's kind of wasting time, giving me a hard time. He said he was going to subtract it from my sermon time. And uh, I said, well, it's important. It's important to keep, and this is important, uh, it's an important part in our Bibles. And so we, I really just want our attention to be on these passages together. And so Mark 11 is Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem. As I thought about Jesus's entrance and the way he kind of makes that. I thought about the way that uh, our ensemble and our praise band, you just, what you just saw, that we kind of transition into sermon time from a time of worship and song to a time of worship uh, really through God's Word, through preaching. And, and we used music to sort of facilitate that transition. And uh, I thought about how we use music sometimes and how sometimes musical artists will have their own sort of entrance when they come out. If you are a concert person, you know that often uh, certain celebrities or certain groups will have an, an entrance that they become famous for. Uh, if you were an Elvis Presley fan, you may remember that one of his famous concert entrances uh, he, he would just build up before he came out, and, and sometimes it would be, people would be waiting, you know, hours and hours. And they would play that tune, it's, it's got a really long and, and funny name, but it's the tune from 2001, A Space Odyssey, you know, the da da ba ba you know, and it's just real loud and uh, boisterous. They would play that, and there would be, you know, was, not, not that we had quite you know, the lights and screens as we do now, but for that time in the day, they would have his, his name would be plastered on a screen, and, and everybody would just be screaming his name. And uh, if, you, if you watch some of his old concert footage, you'll see him, and uh, it just looks like a line, just a line of people, his, his crew, his band, his technicians, just everybody just lined up, and they'll put their hands on each other's shoulders, and that was sort of like they're getting pumped up, you know, and it would show them in the back, and, and everybody would be screaming, and they would just let them scream, and finally when they all came out, they came out, you know, with their hands on each other's shoulders, and, and everybody just went wild when they came out, and some of you might say, well, today, if, if you are a, a, a person that goes to concerts and watches bands, that's, that's kind of mild, but back then, that, that was a big deal. And so I emailed Justin. Uh, Justin and Angie Stevens are concert buffs. That's become one of their favorite things to do. And uh, <clears throat> so I asked him, what is the coolest concert interest recently that you've seen? And he said, not long ago, they went to go see Poison, the band Poison. And uh, this is, I'll just read you what he said. He described it like this. He said, the lights went down and a cartoon of the band heading to a gig played on a giant screen. The cartoon ended with a back shot of the band heading into a brightly lit stage that faded to their logo. And then, bam, drums, lights, guitar riffs, and into the songs. He said there was tons of energy from the crowd, and it was a blast. And then he added this little tidbit, I guess, because I'm a pastor. He said... Uh, most poison lyrics are definitely not church material. <laughs> so, he's giving you a disclaimer if you're going to go listen to poison this morning based on his words. 
There you go. It's always good to give a disclaimer, you know, especially in church. If anybody has any questions, I can ask you. Now, most of the time when bands and groups do that, it's, it's because they're trying to make a statement about who they are. Uh, it has something to do with, you know, their, maybe their reputation. Uh, I remember in the 90s when, when Garth Brooks was sort of transitioning from this traditional country guy to what he is. He's kind of, so some people have called Garth as being the guy that, you know, is a, a country artist but, but put on a rock and roll concert. And I remember one of his famous entrances, a, a piano was on stage, just this white baby grand piano. And, and, and then the piano in itself and the whole lighting rig of his concert began to, to lift up into the air. And then it seemed like from out of nowhere he would emerge from, from inside the baby grand piano. And, and he, that, he was famous for that entrance. And of course, he did all kinds of other stuff in his concerts. He would have pyrotechnics and lights, and, and he would smash guitars. And some folks have criticized him for, for being a little over the top or not really being a country artist or, or whatever. But, but the truth is, is, is that his, he's gained this reputation. He made a statement through, through those entrances and the way he performed that, that has kind of followed him around. And it's been a statement that has made an impression on people. And so... I say all that as we think about Jesus' entrance. Uh, he's coming into Jerusalem the last week of his life. He's making a statement. He is he's doing it with, with a purpose. And, and we're in the book of Mark. We looked at it in the book of Mark. And, and when you read the, the, the gospel of Mark, it's interesting that the, the gospel of Mark out of all the gospels is, is not always as forthcoming about who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't always have those statements like in the Gospel of John. You have the I am statements and you don't have those in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, what you have in the Gospel of Mark, you have Jesus saying to people sometimes after he heals them or after he performs a miracle, he says, hey, don't, don't go tell anybody. It's not time yet. Don't go tell anyone about what you saw or, or, or what happened. And so we get to this point and now that time has come. And Jesus is ready to, to begin with this entrance where he puts on display uh, this entrance that, that really, if you go to Zechariah chapter 9, there is this same scene that's played out by who Israel understands to be their Savior, their, their Messiah. And so you read Mark chapter 11. I'm going to look at it again. And I'm just going to read it again from my translation in the NIV. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are doing this, say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send back, we'll send back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying the colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple courts. He looked around at everything... But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Jesus is saying something new, something radical as he enters Jerusalem. Oh, and this use the word cult, but what we understand is, is a donkey. 
But the thing is, this new thing that he's saying, this radical thing that is being proclaimed by this demonstration, we know, we know the whole story, would not have been understood really in the way that it's going to play out. But he's defining himself. And, and so we're going to look at the way that Jesus defines himself as he's entering Jerusalem. First, just in the way that he enters, he is making a statement. Jesus picks the Mount of Olives to stop as, as he's coming in. That, that's the place where he stops and he requests for his disciples to go and, and to get this donkey for him. And, and the, the Mount of Olives in the book of Zechariah is the place where they understand, where he talks about the Lord proclaiming judgment on people at the end of times. And so he is, he's making a statement already there saying that, that something different, something special is about to happen. And you know, we kind of puzzle, don't we, at his instructions. Go and when you find this cult, just tell them that the Lord needs it. I mean, almost flippantly, you know, just, just the Lord needs it. But the way we have to understand that is not Jesus being flippant. You see, in, in Jesus' time when there was someone that was in authority, someone that was important, uh, a, a king or, or a civil leader, if, if they needed an animal, they could go and, and, and say, I, I need this. And it was you know, kind of legally, they had to give that animal to them and then it would be returned. And, and really the thing to note is not the fact that Jesus tells them to do this, but the way the, the, the people respond, there's no issue, there's no problem. It, it shows us that they understood that, that Jesus was someone, that he had some authority. There was something about Jesus. They recognized his right to act in this way. And so this whole scene is pointing to Jesus as being something big, something special, something uh, we're not sure what yet because the story's still going, but, but there's something there about Jesus. One of the unique things about being at Eastwood, being in a, a church office and, and a church our size is, uh, I sort of, I've said this before, I've memorized the way people enter throughout our week. We're people in and out of the office sometimes. Uh, when, when there's a, a huge truck outside and I hear a loud boom, I, I know it's, it's probably the mail guy. It's the way the, the truck sounds. I've just memorized it. Dwayne used to come by before he worked out at the camp and uh, he would come by and, and drink all our coffee and uh, I remember the way he would often come in his, his scout, this huge metal box on wheels, and, and that thing just has a peculiar sound. And so the minute he drove up from the sound of his, his door closing and everything, I just, oh, there's Dwayne, you know. Uh, Alice kind of has this special little cough. She enters and, <clears throat> you know, and it's like, oh, there's Alice. You know, just I've memorized the way that that sounds. Terry has... Uh, he'll, he'll, he'll lock his, his, his car, his traverse, and I kind of memorized how that sounds. And he has a key, so as soon as I hear the door, I hear the traverse honk, and then I hear the door open, and that combination tells me that it's Terry. Well, EJ has moved behind our church, and he's the only one who surprises me. And I don't know if it's because he comes in from an entrance in the back and I don't hear him, especially now that it's cold and I have the, the heater going in my office, so I don't hear him come in. Uh, but he's really gotten good at just sort of appearing, and it's like a ninja. <laughs> And uh, I'm working on memorizing that one. But, but even that, I've become to associate with EJ. If I feel someone looking at me and I'm not sure who it is, it's, it's probably going to be EJ. And I try not to jump. Jesus makes this entrance. And by the time the disciples arrive with this cult, we see that almost instantly people, people know how to associate it. Uh, his, his disciples start taking their jackets, their, their cloaks, and they're laying it on its, its back. This was not something that was normal. When you go into Jerusalem, when you're making the pilgrimage there, people did it on foot. 
In fact, in the Gospels, we never even have a record of Jesus riding any animal except for this moment. So we know that he's making a statement. And we know that as his disciples lay their cloaks on, on the, the donkey's back, that they're, they're going along with that. And while they probably, I know they didn't understand all the implications there, they, they were there. They were willing to, to sort of help Jesus prepare for this entrance, to prepare the people as Jesus came in to live the last week of his life. Most of the people that you and I know uh, as, as, as disciples, it's, it's our job to help them receive Jesus to the best way that they can. And I think most people that we know think they have a pretty good handle on Jesus, don't they? Even if they don't, uh, they're not super religious, even if they don't know a lot about the Bible, I think most people, especially in our area, they, they want to be good people. They, they pray if something bad happens, they'll probably tell you, oh, pray for me, whether they're really a Christian or not, or whether they know a lot about Jesus, or, or they might say, uh, you know, well, I went to church because they, something, something happened, you know, and, and they heard a message and, and it was good for them. But then if you look at their faith a little bit closer, it, it's not really in Jesus as Savior. The Jesus that he is proclaiming himself to be as he comes in and makes this entrance. It's in a Jesus that hopefully will just make things a little bit better for them. That's how the disciples uh, and, and, and a, a large majority of the people were seeing Jesus as, as this guy that's coming. He's just going to make things better for us. And maybe the greatest thing we can do for folks that, that haven't quite got the rest of it yet is to be there for them when things don't get better, when reading the Bible or going to church occasionally or, or asking someone to pray for them doesn't make it better. Because then that's when, they, that's when they really need a Savior, isn't it? That's when they really might be open to, to having Jesus as their Lord. And that's how Jesus is presenting himself in the way he enters. Jesus also defines himself in the response that he receives from the people. Jesus planned this scene out, didn't he? He's, it's part of Jesus' plan. It's, it's very deliberate. But the people, as, they, as they're spread, the, the disciples spread their cloaks on, on the donkey and, and the people that spread uh, the palm branches on, on the road, uh, that, that kind of happens, uh, it just sort of happens. That wasn't planned. See, less than about 150, less than 150 years before Jesus was born, there was a Jewish war hero named Simon Maccabeus. And he received a similar entrance when he came. And the people were hoping that he would fight against the Romans and he would make things better for them. And so as Jesus is entering and, and he's, he's on the donkey and, and, and it looks just like Zechariah, they're, they're hoping this same hope. Jesus is going to come and he's going to make things better for us. But they're missing it, right? They're missing out on what Jesus is really going to do. As believers, we know what he really came to do. Which begs the question, why did Jesus receive this response? I mean, Jesus was never a stranger at stopping and saying, hey, you don't understand something. He was never a stranger at preaching controversial messages, but he receives this response. And I think maybe it's because it's, it's like, have you ever had a child that uh, ma made something for you and it didn't really look like what it was supposed to make, but you received it? Maybe you had a child that went and picked some weeds in the yards, moms, and then gave them to you and called them flowers. And did you say, hey, these aren't flowers, and throw them away? You took them. You, you received them. And, and maybe even put them in water and displayed them. You ever have a child, you know, draw you a picture and, and you look at the picture and it's supposed to be you, but you're, you know, you're this weird look, 
stick figure, you know, and your eyes are bugging out and you don't have a nose. You don't say, well, that's a horrible picture. No, you say, well, well thank you. And you, you put it on the refrigerator and, and you receive it with the understanding that as this child grows, hopefully they don't always draw weird looking stick figures and pick you weeds. Maybe one day they'll, they'll get it. But you receive it because they're young and to the best of their ability, they are expressing some devotion toward you. I think Jesus is, is receiving this because the truth is it was impossible for any of these people to really understand who he was apart from what's going to happen in this next week of his life, apart from his death, apart from his burial, apart from his resurrection. And so he receives this. And, and we see that at least to the, to the degree that they can, the people are trying in verses 9 and 10, they say words like, Hosanna which means literally save us now. And that had become a, a popular, almost like praise the Lord, hallelujah type thing. But, but that's literally what it means. And, and they would say that as, as people would make pilgrimages to Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That was a, a greeting. They'd say that to all pilgrims that came. But they say one thing that gives us a hint that they understand that there is something there's something different about Jesus. Blessed is the coming kingdom, verse 10, of our father David. There's something coming. Jesus is bringing something bigger. Jesus is different. He's not just some guy coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. There's something going on, the crowd is saying. And even though the expectation misses the full significance of who Jesus is, he receives the response knowing that, that later... It can be understood. It can be explained that, that his disciples will share the full significance of everything, of who he is and, and what he did. I don't think it's inaccurate to say that Jesus receives our responses in, in a similar manner today. Maybe you became a Christian. You came to faith in Christ because you just didn't want to go to hell. Maybe you heard some fire and brimstone preacher, and that was, to you, that was, that was kind of the only point you could grasp. You just didn't want to go to hell, and Jesus receives that. Maybe, maybe you, you, you came to faith, maybe you became a Christian because you looked at your family and it was really messed up and you said, man, I want, I want something different than that. I, I see that the church folks, they're not perfect, but man, there's, there's, there's a wholeness there that I'm missing. And Jesus receives that. Maybe you just came to church because you wanted church for your kids. Maybe you never had it growing up and you wanted something for them that was not something that you had. And Jesus receives that. But at the same time, he's always inviting us into a deeper understanding of what it means to have him as our Savior. You see, I think all of us could say, Jesus saved me from X, Y, Z, whether it's a, a, a bad family life or from hell or whatever. Jesus saved me from these things. But what do we get? The real question, if Jesus is our Savior and our Lord, what do we get because of, because of what Jesus did us. What do we get to do because of that? Not just what does he save us from. That's what he's calling us toward. Finally, Jesus defines himself as he comes into Jerusalem and the place that he goes immediately as he gets there. And from time to time, I will look back and think about where I've gone in my life from, from the time that I graduated high school. I'll look at my old Orangefield High School yearbook and, and in the senior section, they allowed seniors to, uh, to share a quote. And, and I don't have to tell you, I mean, we were certain, you know, seniors in high school, we were very insightful and wise people. 
And so one of my friends in parting quote is, peace out. Isn't that wise? That was it. Peace out. That was his quote. Another friend's quote was, it's been real, it's been fun, but it's not been real fun. I tried to rise a little bit above that, and uh, I was going to quote a partial Bible verse. Philippians 3, 13, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. That was just a self-righteous way of saying peace out, honestly. <laughs> but it's amazing as I think about those, those people that, that made those quotes, and, and one of them has have gone on to become the head of, of purchasing for the Beaumont Independent School District. Another one's gone on to be a, a, financial, uh, a, financial, a financial caseworker in, in, for Northwestern Mutual. And, and I eventually learned that you should not take Scripture out of context and use it to say dumb things like, peace out. <laughs> Jesus, gradu- when he graduated from carpentry school, so to speak, I don't think Mary ever would have envisioned this moment for him. Not because they'd never been to, to Jerusalem. They had, but, but they'd gone on foot. They'd gone without the crowd. They'd gone without the, the, the branches in the streets and the chanting. They'd gone there to express devotion to God. But in this moment, Jesus isn't going to perform a sacrifice. He's going to be a sacrifice. This time, He's not going to express devotion. He's going to correct people's devotion to God. And Mark tells us in verse 11 that Jesus, the first place He went was the temple courts. And you remember what he saw? He saw people there selling animals that needed to be sacrificed. And, and in all actuality, this made a lot of sense. It, it was convenient for people to go and buy these animals as opposed to bringing them on their journey to Jerusalem. Uh, and and they just buy them there. It was convenient. He saw money changers. In other words, when, when they would come and, and to pay the temple tax, there had to be people there that would convert the money into the right currency that the temple would receive. It, it was necessary. The problem wasn't that these things were happening. The problem was where they were happening, in the temple courts, within the area that should be a place of prayer. Our passage ends when Mark notes that he, he goes and he, he just looks around at all this, not as a tourist, not as a pilgrim, but as someone that has come to set things right. That's what he went for. That's what he came for, is to set things right. It's interesting to me that Jesus comes and, and He makes this entrance into Jerusalem. This is the last week of His life, and He doesn't go somewhere that He's never been before. He goes to a place that He's been many, many times. And, and, and as believers, as, as we think about the places that God brings us, sometimes the places that, that are most important are the places we've been many, many times. The places where we're at a lot, even. We look around at our families. We look around at our church our jobs. Most likely things aren't perfect there. Things aren't the way that they should be in those places. And I think sometimes as Christians we're guilty of saying, well, you know, life's not perfect and, and, and we'll just turn a blind eye to some of the things that are not the way that they're supposed to be. And Jesus could have done that as he goes through the temple. I mean, the temple is not going to be something really that is important in Christianity, is it? He could have let that slide. This is not really a big part of my mission, he could have said. But he didn't turn a blind eye, and, and he addressed it because that's what he came to do, to set things right. And for us, before we can set some things right, we need, to let, we need to let Jesus 
Help us look around in the way that He did. To look around and, and to notice. To look around at our families and maybe see the pain some folks are experiencing that we're having problems with. To look around at work and see opportunities that, that maybe when we're frustrated, we can be better and help make it a better place. To look around at our church and our community and see ways that we can serve instead of ways that we can make more issues and struggles. To make them look like God would have them to be. This past couple weeks, Michelle and I both have had car trouble. And so we've taken our cars to Poco and, and Jack Smith is there and, and uh, they're always nice to us and they don't make me feel dumb for not knowing a lot about cars. And I appreciate that. We both had, have had oil leaks. And, uh, you know, I brought my car there and, 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 and Jack calls me and says, well, you have an oil leak that needs to be fixed. But in addition to that, you know, you have some other things leaking. You have a, this hydraulic motor mount and it's leaking and it needs to be fixed. And I said, well, thanks a lot, Jack. And Michelle's van had to go in not long ago and it had an oil leak. And, and he said, well, that needs to be fixed. But uh, you also had, you also had a, a power steering line leak. And so we need to replace that line. I said, thanks a lot, Jack. And, but, I, but do I say, well, I didn't ask you to look at those things. I just asked you to look at the oil leak. Just fix that. Don't fix those other things. I didn't ask you to fix those things. No, as much as my wallet doesn't like it, I say, thank you. Thank you for being thorough. Thank you for finding stuff that, that eventually is going to mess other things up. Thank you for fixing it all the way. We have a Savior that even though He entered the city of His death, didn't overlook the issues that kept people from connecting to God like they were supposed to. And if we've allowed Christ admittance into our lives, into our hearts, as we like to say, we have a spirit that enables us to look at ourselves, to look at others honestly and thoroughly and intently, and to notice the things that keeps us from being rightly connected to Him. And the good news is, He's already paid the price to fix it. But He asks us to notice. Let's pray together. Lord, in the same spirit that you came and looked around and saw the things that needed to be fixed, I pray you would help us to look around in our hearts and in our lives and our families and churches, knowing that we can't fix what needs to be fixed on our own, that we need your help and we need your spirit and we need your grace. And God, we thank you for, 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 for a Savior that truly does save us. Not only from a place that we don't want to go, but from lives that we don't want to live. And we pray that that Savior would be the one that helps us to notice and live in the way that he would, you would want us to and to be connected to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we do always have a time of invitation, a hymn of response is what we call it. And we invite you to respond uh, in the way that Jesus responded uh, to what he thought.